It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this NFL kickoff Thursday along with High school football sprinkled in this evening as well. Don't forget the prep spotlight follows us coming right at you at 6 o'clock p.m. and have some great guests scheduled for you today. Ross Dellinger, yahoosports.com, covers college football and has done a tremendous job with his coverage of not only the new classifications of these conferences, but also what is the number one team and who is the number one team in the country. Lindsey Crosby will join us to talk about the Atlanta Braves clinching the National League division. Daniel Head from Coastal Alabama Community College will send us a special coach today. We'll get them on board. Marco Lee running back from South Alabama as the Jaguars go ahead and go to Stillwater. Marco scored his first touchdown of the season for the Jaguars Saturday. So look forward to talking to him and looking forward to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. We'll have Ike Jones from the War Report and Gary Harris from WVUA. So a very busy Thursday edition of the Final Drive. You know, speaking of Tide and Tiger, yesterday we did a really deep dive onto the word dynasty. What's it mean? What qualifies some team as a dynasty? How many dynasties can be active at one time? Does it have to just be one? Can there be multiple? And, you know, Nick Saban in his uh, press conference yesterday had some comments. And I'm going to be honest, I feel vindicated. People say that I'm crazy, but from Nick Saban's own mouth, he says that I'm right. Right, Corey? Nick Saban Am I says stretching it a little? that you're right. Well, let's hear what Nick Saban had to say about the criticism being warranted of the Crimson Tide. Um, again, I, I talked to the players about internal standard versus external noise. And, um, you know, I think that we didn't play great. So, you know, people get upset that we get criticized. But why wouldn't we get criticized if we don't play well? I mean, people call me and say, hey, man, I, this guy's a jerk for, you know, saying this about you. Uh, no, he really isn't. I mean, it's, it's right. We didn't play good. I'm responsible for that. So we did all these things on offense that I just talked about, add them up. Well, I mean, I'm responsible for that. So. I mean, in the real world, when you don't perform and you don't produce, you probably get criticized, sometimes get penalized. Some people lose their job when they don't perform well. You know, that's 
maybe even worse than losing a game when you can't feed your family and your children and all that, pay, make your house payment. I guess that's, that's worse. So um, I don't really know what the noise is. I haven't listened to one talk radio show. I haven't read one newspaper. I have been focusing 100% of my time on the next team that we play, the last team that we played, and what we need to do to fix that. And I think all the players would be better served and everybody in the organization would be better served if they all did that. Because what somebody else thinks really doesn't matter. It's all about what you do and how you respond to what you need to do so that you have a chance to be successful in the future. All I heard was, I'm not a jerk in his eyes. Nick Saban was some <laughs> great words of wisdom there, Nick. Yeah. He, he let gave life lessons. The criticism is going to come. He says he doesn't read a newspaper. I believe that because it's hard to get a newspaper nowadays, <laughs> sure. right? Yeah. So I'm quite sure he didn't read a newspaper. He hasn't listened to watch one sports show. I kind of find that a little bit tougher to believe, especially with his daughter having specifically targeted and talked about one Paul Feinbaum, and you know he's talked to his daughter about that, right? and she let him know what her thoughts were, but he kept it real in regards to the criticism being warranted. When you don't perform, it can cost you your job. It can cost you feeding your family, and, and, and it's bigger than football, right. but he is hired to do a job and win football games, and he, he doesn't care what George Teague has to say. He doesn't care what Trent Richardson has to say. He doesn't care what Reggie Ragland has to say, Bo Scarborough. He's focused on South Florida and wants to correct the mistakes from Texas. Well, we talk about so much about the Alabama standard. Are they living up to the Alabama standard? And right now, Nick Saban himself would even tell you, no, they're not. And that's why the criticism is warranted because – we all know how Alabama's supposed to play and how we've seen them play for, what, over 10, 15 years at this point. And they're not hitting that. They are not hitting that. You know, they're supposed to have one of the most dominant run games in college football. They're not hitting that. Over the past few years, you're supposed to be quarterback university. That quarterback's supposed to be throwing for 300 yards a game. They're not hitting that. So the defense, that's that offensive line is supposed to not give up barely any sacks. They're not hitting that. The defensive line is supposed to make it life a living hell for the opposing quarterback. They're not hitting that. So kudos to Nick Saban for showing um, some humility and, you know, being able to take the criticism on the chin because he knows that is warranted. Well, when you're at the top, it always starts at the top. He's not going to run from the criticism. He's not going to blame the fans for not doing their job, for not showing up at Bryant-Denny Stadium. He's, he, you know, he's doing that self-reflection to where he's looking in the mirror. He's asking his players to look in the mirror. And the biggest question mark is if Alabama continues not to live up to the standard, has Coach Saban, whether he likes it or not, outlived his welcome? Has the game bypassed him? Regardless of how great of a recruiter you are, regardless of how great of a GOAT you may be, if your players are not responding because of the external factors, because the main thing is the main thing, Nick. What is the main thing for an Alabama football player? The, in, in what? In what Just regard? the main thing for an Alabama football player. What is the main thing? 
to win football games? There you go. The main thing, the reason you're there is to help the University of Alabama win national championships to go along with getting that degree. So the main thing is the main thing. And there's not a better coach in America that helps his players go and receive the degree. But the main thing, what got you to the University of Alabama on a football scholarship is football. So the main thing is football. And if you're not winning, if you're not doing what you need to do up to saving standard, when we heard last week that Pat McAfee was going to have Nick Saban on his show every single Thursday, you knew he was going to be asked something in regards to not only his coaching career, his players, his experience. And today, Pat McAfee had Nick Saban laughing at the fact that everybody is a Saban hater wanting him to retire, get rid of yourself, move on. It's time the game has passed you by. Mm -hmm. Well, he continues to drop four- and five-star recruits. Nick Saban had something to say to Pat McAfee about if he was going to retire or not. Hey, let's dive into this. Whenever this was announced last week on Friday, whenever you came on our show, that you were going to join us every single week, there was obviously a lot of people that were excited to hear you talk in a different fashion throughout an entire college football season. Then I saw a contingency of people that were saying, oh, this means Nick Saban's done. He's retiring soon. If he's willing to do something like this, it's got to be the end is near. Then I talked to people that are close to you, and they say, like, Coach Saban, will never be near the end because what Coach Saban loves to do is lead and gel and mold a team. So although people think he's going to be done, when push comes to shove, Coach Nick Saban is always going to have to coach to basically survive. Do you view it that way? And do you hear all the chatter about your future? I assume you have to. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of laughable. But, you know, I, I guess I would ask you, you know, when's the first time you heard that I was going to retire? That started about five years ago. Um, and I think, you know, it creates some advantages for people, maybe whether it's in recruiting or whatever it might be. But uh, I love what I'm doing. I'm focused on the challenge. You know, I've always said I don't want to ride the program down. I don't want to do this if I can't do it anymore. But uh, I feel great right now. I love it. We got lots of challenges this season. I'm looking forward to it. And we're all in. Hey, let's. How how long does Nick Saban go? Because he's definitely a different type of guy. Ron Williams says he goes till he croaks. No, no way. I would bet that there's no way he's coaching there in the 2030s. Why not? Seven years from now, there's no way. If his no health way. allows him to, why not? If his health is allowing him to, why not? Because don't you just lose because he a has his AARP well, look, card, you're, you're going to go ahead and cash him out, Nick? The older you get, you the wiser you become. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> you also can lose a little bit of your edge, right? A little bit of maybe your sharpness, your your quickness, right? You what you gain in wisdom. I think you lose in a little bit of that, right? That grit, that that fired-up energy, because you've seen it all already, right? I mean, we're talking, like, look at Nick Saban now. He's apologizing to reporters. Hey, man. Love it. Love it. But it's definitely a different Nick Saban than what was four years ago, 
So seven years from now, how old is Nick Saban? You would know off the top of your head, right? Yeah, Nick Saban. He's 71. There you go. 78 years old. Why not? I mean, we're talking that just is really old to me. And you, you got to think you're trying to relate to kids 15, 16 when you're recruiting. You're winning. 17, 18, 19. You're winning. You're bringing them money. You're bringing them profit. The more successful your program, the more profit is in your pocket. And these kids nowadays, now that they can put profit in their pocket, you better believe the most visible program outside of Colorado is Alabama. Yeah. And because of that, it doesn't matter if Nick Saban is 72, 73, 74, 75. He's still years old is pretty wild, though, right? I mean, let's yeah, talk about 80 Joe, is a push. We're talking. I mean, Joe you're talking Paterno about another nine years. His birthday is in October, right around Halloween. So you're you're with a you're with a push. How old was Joe Paterno when they kicked him out of Penn State? He was right around 80, right? Was he was he winning though? Let's see how old Joe Pa was when he retired. I I I, I think that how old's Pete Carroll? He's pretty old now. He's a young, he's a uh, He's got a, a good bit of pep for an old guy, but I do think Pete Carroll, I know he's the oldest coach in the NFL. I don't know if he is the oldest active football coach. Um, let's see. Pete Carroll. Oh, Pete Carroll's only 71, so he's the same age as Nick Saban. Right, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, as long as you're spry, Coach Saban, you see him out on the football field doing those exercises, man. You see him in the 110-degree heat warming up and stretching to make sure he's good. He's had that hip replacement. He's feeling good. He's got new parts in the body. So why not? But do you really see Nick Saban get as fired up as he used to on the sidelines? And yes, user in the app, I know why Joe Paterno left Penn State. That's why I said kicked out. But the age, he was an old, we all know how old Joe Paterno was, right? (laughs) We all knew that, like, that's the only thing that was keeping him alive was going and coaching football games. Let's see, using the app. Nick, smart people evolve as time goes by. He's evolved. Got a quote here from Muhammad Ali. The man who views the world at 50, the same as he did at 20, has wasted 30 years of his life. That's a fact. And and, and Nick Saban's not trying to waste time because he's going to continue to bring in four- and five-star recruits. Let them slip around here and win. He's going to leave on his own terms. It's not going to be because I'm too old. I I think Nick Saban has the consciousness to know when maybe he's starting to slip and he's not able to coach at the level that he views as his own Nick Saban standard and as the Alabama standard. I just don't know if that's happening after 2030. Because let's just think, guys. Well, look, we all got grandparents, hell, I'll be happy right? if he's here coaching in 2025. Look, we all got grandparents. We've all had grandparents. Some people are grandparents. Try to get your grandpa to come out and help you do something he could do when he was 50 now that he's 75. It's different. Absolutely it's different. But here's the thing. Nick Saban surrounds himself by those who continue to help him. And 
He continues to find he's he's got a daughter who's young. He has grandchildren who are young, and that helps him keep in sync and in tune to what's going on. The only time he was not in sync and in tune is when you asked him about his playlist, and that's a post game playlist. That was my first he listens, red flag. He, he, he <laughs> listens to the same song said, oh, every <laughs> post game. So this man ain't making it <laughs> four more years. Yeah, and that's that's that was a red flag for Nick Wiggins saying he's not going to make it to 75. I know we have a caller. Caller, yeah. welcome to the final drive. Hey, Corey, what's up? Hey, first of all, the playlist. I think Nick Saban just didn't want to say he had Tupac and Biggie on his playlist. <laughs> Second of all, man, what you got to understand is that man is wired different from normal human beings. Like, yes, at 72 and 73, we're going to find excuses not to do stuff. That man, that's not where he's at. He's like, he's got that, like, Dave Goggins mentality. There's a certain percentage of people and humans on this thing that are wired different, man. And you, you, we say they're weird, but they're so driven and they're such goal-oriented, they don't know how to do anything else, and they're miserable if they're not in that grind every day. And I think that's what you see out of people like Saban. I think Kirby Smart's the same way, too. Yes, I, I agree that Coach Saban is definitely wired differently. He's wired to go every single day, 365, with football, recruiting, X's and O's. And if he takes a loss – to me, he says that's a lesson. A loss is a lesson. To me, that's even more motivation to keep Nick Saban even in the game longer rather than pushing him away. I just yeah, think I, I agree. I think what's happened, I think what you see now is the NIL has really started evening out the parity and the, the recruits and where they go. So I think you see it's bigger of a challenge to win these national championships and keep that dominance for six, seven, eight, nine years uh, going. And I think the reason why he's still around is he wants to win at least one in this era of NIL to prove that he can do it. Yes, when the college football expands, he wants to be part of having an opportunity Don't you to think grasp it's just, that. It's going to be tougher just in comparison. Hey, I'm 16 years old. Here comes 80 year old Nick Saban to visit my mom and my family. Comp- Compared to but a middle-aged Nick Saban, it ain't geriatric Nick Saban. Look at look at how many fans. Look and just be honest, okay? The athletes. Look at how many uh, athletes and kids or athletes from the inner city that Alabama has got them to the level where they get these big NFL contracts and they can move their whole families, and it changes their whole family's dynamic for some of these kids. You know. Um, so I think that's what you see. That that would be my thing. It's like, hey, how can I help my myself and my family out? If Nick Saban is the one that can get me, I don't care if he's 90 years old in a wheelchair. That's where I'm going. See, but you talk about the NIL parity, so it's not just Nick Saban. It used to be Nick Saban was the one of the only people that could guarantee that type of future for your son or for yourself. Now every school can almost give that to you in the same way Nick Saban has been. No, not not sustained well, wealth. Well, There's a difference you, between you look, NIL. You look at the draft picks. It, it, it's been pretty much Alabama, Georgia, yes. Franklin of Ohio State here lately. I mean, look at the last few drafts before last year. Texas didn't have any draft picks some years. There, there's I mean, a difference. Of course, B. John Robinson, first pick. But you got to look, it's been Alabama, LSU, and Georgia just littered in the top first round yeah. for the last five, six yeah. years. It, it, there's a difference between NIL college money and having wealth that's going to change your life 
thirty you, million dollars guaranteed as a first round draft pick or twenty five million dollars guaranteed as a late second round draft pick. That's a huge difference yeah, but, between NIL money and getting NFL wealth. But you mentioned Georgia, right? And LSU and Ohio State. Let's say you have those four guys coming to your door. What gives Nick Saban the edge over Kirby Smart in this current moment? Hey, he's still the he's still he's still the active coach with the most uh, natty. So hey, until that changes, he's still gonna have he's he's always gonna have a foot in the door. Just if nothing else, because of that. I mean, because you look facts. at it, why did just Justice Haynes' dad went to Georgia? He went to Alabama. Yeah. Ron, Ron Williams is committed to Alabama. His dad went to Auburn. You tell me. It, it is because Nick Saban is going to ultimately get them where they need to be, not only educationally, but also financially. And someone in the app has the great turnaround to you, Nick, here. Look at the presidential candidates and for 2024. They are responsible for a whole country, not just a football team. If you look at the age that's of the potential <laughs> presidential candidates. <laughs> that's a bad thing, though. Yes, that's a horrible <laughs> thing. But at the same time, yeah. I guarantee Nick Saban could laugh them all. And just the fact that when he comes into your living room, keeps it 100 with you, lets you know that, hey, mom, dad, grandma, it, yes, these rings on my desk speak for themselves, but that diploma that you're going to walk and the graduation rate is superb, Nick. So I think that that's what keeps Nick Saban motivated, knowing not only is he going to continue to fulfill those promises to those parents, grandparents, aunt, uncles of the Alabama program, the dynasty, I said it yesterday, it's not dead. The I criticism is warranted. I definitely don't think the dynasty's dead. I think the dynasty is still alive and kicking. Yep. It is different, which we both agree yep. on. I'm just saying 2030, I just can't imagine. Who knows? Now, 2030 is a long what the time hell off. the world will even look like. Yeah, 2030 is a long time off. But I will say, look, moving in 2024 with divisionless SEC football, college football playoffs expanding to 12, Nick Saban wants to stick around and find out how that feels. That's facts. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Jake Tilford, quarterback at Alabama. And when I'm listening to the radio, I'm listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive. And, you know, we're putting our little prediction hats on, trying to be tell the future. How long is Nick Saban going to stay around? But I think we can all agree the future of college football, if you had to wrap that into one human, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the future of college football right now is Deion Sanders. Without question, it's all about Deion Sanders. Last week against Nebraska, he said the rivalry was personal. It's personal. But today, why in the world would Colorado State head coach want to say chime in or do anything coach norvell had something to say about Deion sanders and the buffaloes and we can't even play it because the players were so you know Deion sanders he doesn't use curse words but his players should do, sure do so the, the the highest average ticket price right now to attend a colorado football game whereas last year it was a dollar do you know what it's going for right now? The highest average ticket price? 
the high, the lowest average or highest? The average, average ticket the price. Average ticket price to attend a Colorado Buffaloes home game. Two hundred bucks. Try again. Well, average six hundred. Five seventeen. Okay. Whereas last year is a dollar. Wow. A dollar. Well, so you, you talk about Dion and getting his team riled up and saying now it's personal. We just wanted this to be a nice, fun game of our color first time doing this Colorado rivalry, but they had to go and make it personal. Where here here's the comments that set Dion off. And I sat down with ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them I took my hat off, and I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother talked. <laughs> so, and I said. Man. <laughs> Dion ain't taking them shades off, bro, until he wants to. He's not taking the shades off. He's not taking the hat off. He's not doing anything he does not want to do. Now. Is it respectful to do that? Absolutely. Do I think Deion Sanders would walk into grandma's or grandpa's or mom and pop's living room with the shades and hat on? Heck yeah, I think he'll do that yeah. because that's part of prime time. That's who he is, and that's who he's accepted to be. I just don't know why you would – I think they're, what, a 26-and-a-half-point favorite Colorado is over Colorado State. I don't know why you would come out and say that. And even prefacing it, oh, I don't even care if they hear this out in Boulder. Man, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? And even Dion, in his clip that we weren't able to play, he said, why do they keep talking about us? We don't ever talk about anybody. We come here, we do our job, but they keep making it <laughs> personal. And, and it's going to be personal on Saturday. Colorado, Colorado State is already that interstate rivalry that you want to see. But when you have a head coach, listen, Dion has been walking the walk and talking the talk. And if you're able to back it up, that's fine. Now, if you want him to take off his hat and shades, then go ahead and beat the Buffaloes to sleep. Go ahead and upset them. Because I guarantee if you beat Colorado, Dion is going to take off those shades to look into his players' eyes to find out what in the hell just happened. So yeah. if you want him to take off his hat and his shades, beat him. That's right. That's right. Beat him. And look, we got about a minute here. I know we got a caller who wants to join in on the Nick Saban stuff. What's up, caller? Hey, guys. St. David here. Uh, first of all, on prime time, uh, every great coach will find anything to, uh, to motivate his players, and that's yeah. what Dion is doing. But on Nick Saban, listen, I'm not an Alabama fan. I'm not a Nick Saban fan. I'm an uh, Auburn and Ole Miss fan. But having Nick Saban in college football makes the game better. So as long as he wants to coach, I say let him coach because uh, because the opposing fan bases love to hate him and the Alabama fans revere him. So as And he even loves uh, sparring with the media during press conferences. So he's having fun. He's not going to the house anytime soon. That's When he stops having fun, that's when he'll go to the house. St. David, appreciate the phone call here to the final drive. You're absolutely right. When he's going to leave on his terms, when he wants to. Earlier at SEC Media Days, Nick, do you know what magic number he said he felt like? What was that? 39. So if he's 71 and feels 39, Nick, 2030? Yeah, brother. 45. 2030 is 46. very reachable. 
for Nick Saban, Nick Wiggins. He said he felt like he was 39. I'm Gee, telling you. But th do the years go by like dog years, though? Like, see, you're adding on seven years each time. If you have two more losses the way that you lost to Texas, yeah, yeah. they'll go by in dog years. But, again, the standard has been set by Nick Saban across the college football landscape. Nothing's going to change there. Ross Dellinger, Yahoo Sports, coming up next here on The Final Drive. We'll talk to him about Dion and much more. Hey, this is Showtime boxing analyst Steve Farhood, and you're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaBounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Thursday afternoon. And it's a pleasure to be joined by college football writer for Yahoo Sports, Ross Dellinger. Ross, how are you doing this afternoon, my friend? Good, man. How are you? Absolutely blessed by the best. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us this afternoon. So many college football topics once you put toe to leather and a couple of interesting ones right off the top rope are the college football ratings this year. They've gone through the roof, and I know a lot of that has to do with the matchups between Alabama and Texas and Dion sparking interest in the Colorado program in week number one. But did you ever think that, that there would generate this much excitement about college football in 2023? <laughs> um, probably not quite to this level. It's been uh, it's been pretty incredible to, to watch. Uh, to watch the the uh, uh, just the buzz um, and the the attention, uh, and then of course the wins uh, uh, that Deion Sanders in, in Colorado have garnered. Um, it's been impressive. I was at the TCU Colorado game, and and I have to say I didn't expect them to walk into um, that stadium uh, in Fort Worth and do what they did. Uh, it's been incredible to watch how explosive that they are on offense and uh, Travis Hunter obviously going two ways playing defensive back and, and then playing receiver been incredible Shador, Shador Sanders uh, Dion's son uh, just really uh, strong performances at quarterback uh, decision making and accuracy it's been it's been fun it's been really fun to watch and of course there's all the other colorful things involved um, with uh with uh, the the post game, you know, talks and the the hat and the sunglasses and the fiery kind of speeches, uh, you know, Dion has let everybody in a little bit into the locker room, which we don't see a lot, and that's been fun to watch. Do you think that Dion Sanders is the new standard, or maybe the blueprint that a lot of programs are going to try to follow? Well, I, you know, I think that the um, you know hiring football coaches has certainly evolved over the years. Uh, you have seen lately schools hiring coaches basically to be promoters, marketers, recruiters. You know, it's it's not as much about this brilliant offensive mind or defensive mind or schemer or anything like that. It, it is, especially in the age of NIL, um, it's been more so a, a recruiter and a marketer, a motivator. Um, so we've been seeing that 
of all, we've been seeing that you know increase uh, in in hires. Um, and now, really late, and that's been the last decade we've been seeing that really. And now, lately, what we've been seeing um, is celebrity-ish coaches hired, right? You have, you have Trent Dilfer uh, down there at uh, at UAB, um, and of course, you, you know, Dion was hired, and there are others um, as well, kind of in the celebrity category. Uh, it, it's it's all, you know, with social media and NIL and the Internet in general, um, who you have at the top of your football program uh, is no longer just about football and, and X's and O's and stuff like that. It, it's about much more. And, and we're starting to see that trend in uh, in college athletics uh, in general and, and in college football. And Dion is in his success, right, is – probably only going to exacerbate that uh, that kind of movement. Agreed 100% there. And, and I talked to you at the beginning of our interview here about the eyeballs on college football at an all-time high. When you do have record eyeballs, whether it's on Fox or ESPN, all this boils down to the conference realignment that you've done a tremendous job covering the Pac-12 dissolving. College football, the NCAA being threatened, committee members because they won't grant waivers and being threatened for other things that are going on within the NCAA. All of this is interwound together to me when you start looking at it, Ross, whether it's dollar signs and conference numbers and television dollars, the NCAA granting certain waivers, not granting certain waivers, intertwined. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that uh, – the money drives most decisions, I think, in our world, and it's starting to become such a big thing. Money um, over the last, certainly, you can go all the way back to really the last 20, 25 years in college football specifically. The money has gotten so big that it is it is the driver of a lot of decisions. When maybe in, maybe previously, you know, in the the age of amateurism and when when uh, TV. TV money in college football, say back in the going back even to the '90s and '80s, wasn't as big as what we're seeing today. You you did, you had decisions that just weren't you know driven as much by money, and, and now a lot of the decisions are being driven um, by by money, and the realignment decisions certainly have been been driven by money, and and honestly. The hiring of coaches like a Deion Sanders or like, um, you know, a Trent Dilfer or other other bigger celebrity kind of names like that is probably driven by money. And Dion, as, as someone kind of said to me recently, he's he's already paid for himself in salary. I think he makes around four million dollars a year at Colorado, and he's he's kind of already just through two weeks um, in <laughs> season ticket sales and in sales in Boulder, the city and the community and the apparel and all that stuff. He's driven a lot of that. And, and that's what it's about is, uh, you know, you, you, as, as one person said to me, you know, you, you win games um, with, with good players and, and good talent and, and you win and you get good talent 
through good coaches, and, and you get good coaches through money and, and paying them, and, and that's where we're at. And Dion certainly has delivered in getting talent, and then he's hired a staff, especially offensive coordinator Sean Lewis, been impressive to watch what he's done with the offense that has used that talent well. Yes, I, I think that's critical. And here in Mobile, Alabama, the talk has been, is Saban's dynasty dead? McElroy, Greg McElroy, comes on yesterday and says the dynasty dominance is done. Saban, Coach Saban loses to Texas in not the standard form that you're used to seeing Alabama losing, especially in Tuscaloosa. But your thoughts overall on the parity of college football, Georgia being the reigning back-to-back -back national champions and trying to knock Nick Saban off of the perch. And how much longer do you personally feel Nick Saban has in him? Well, you know, every, every uh, probably for the last five years, the re re retirement question with Nick Saban has, has bubbled up and the buzz has started, especially when they lose games. And every year he just, you know, comes back in the next season uh, and is the head coach. And normally they have quite a bit of success. You know, it's just a couple games now. So it's a, a, a very small sample size. But certainly the game against Texas had a, a few firsts that you, you wouldn't want. I mean, it was the first time uh, a team has won at Alabama under Saban by by double digits, um, you know, it, it, it just looked almost like the two teams were swapped um, and the jerseys were exchanged. You, you had a better quarterback um, on Texas's team. You had better line, lines, offensive and defensive lines that uh, dominated uh, on, on the side of Texas. It was weird. It was weird to see. It was different. That one felt a little different than, than some of the other losses that we've seen. Uh, but Alabama still has a ton of talent, obviously. And with a new quarterback, breaking in a new quarterback, it, it might uh, it might take some games. It might take, take a few weeks to kind of get gone. So don't give up on them just yet. Um, and we've seen Alabama teams in the past, I think it was two years in a row, they lost to, to Ole Miss. Um, one of those is a fairly ugly game at home, and they they bounce back. Uh, so we'll we'll see, but there's certainly concerns, specifically at the most important position on the field, you know, at, at quarterback, and and the position that uh, protects the quarterback, um, offensive line that that are real concerning. Very concerning if you're an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Not being able to sack and pressure the quarterback is a problem, and you have to protect Jalen Milrow as well. And, and then only being his third career start is something I think that's vital and for people to overreact. But, Ross, when you looked at your preseason predictions to win a national championship before we go to this expanded college football playoffs, my personal, I had – Alabama, Ohio State, of course, you have Michigan and Georgia. Those are my four for the college football playoffs. What did yours look like? Uh, I believe that I um, I had uh, Michigan, uh, Georgia, Ohio State, and I believe USC. So I said two Big Ten teams, Ohio State and both Michigan making it. I think I had Michigan winning it all, which – it's hard to tell exactly uh, so far if I'm 
feeling good or bad about that. The Michigan and Georgia, for instance, um, haven't played a Power 5 team. USC has only played a Power 5 team in Stanford. Um, so, I, you know, it, it's, uh, it's hard to tell how how I feel. I need a little more time. Um, but, um, but, yeah, that was, I think that was my four. Well, Ross, I know that your continued coverage of college football is phenomenal. Each and every day you have breaking stories coming to X slash Twitter as you write about college football, 365 for Yahoo Sports. How can our listeners here in Mobile, Alabama, and those who are on the X continue to follow all of your great articles? Yeah, you can uh, go to uh, Yahoo Sports uh, or on uh, yeah on Twitter. You can follow me. It's just my name, Ross Dellinger. Ross, thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you a little later on as the season unfolds. All right, y'all. Thanks. Ross Dellinger, Yahoo Sports. You know, you, you get close to 90,000 followers because you're passionate about what you do, passionate about what you write. You're insightful about what you write. And I know that if you've tuned in here to the final drive here this first hour, Nick, you said you can't see Nick Saban coaching till 2030. I just, that seems really, that just seems really old. But 71 is the new 39. Apparently. I, I, I would ask him how old was he feeling in 2009? Was he feeling like he was 18 years old? I don't know. Well, one thing's for sure. Nick Saban has definitely changed his appearance in front of the media this season, something like we've never seen before. Right, that Just for Men's is doing double time, like that nice Auburn Brown. I like it. Hey, hey look, it, it, it's bringing them back to a softer side. The final drive will be right back. Hey, this is David Morris of QB Country. When I'm in my car, I always have it tuned in to 105.5 WNSP, the sports station. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Nick Wiggins. And you'll get your football fixed tonight. My Super Bowl participant, Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Minnesota Vikings. And the Vikings got punched in the mouth. The Eagles, they hold on off a furious comeback for the Patriots. I don't think the Vikings are bad, even though they lost to the Buccaneers led by Baker Mayfield. I had said that I think the Buccaneers are low-key, sneaky, not as bad as people think they are. They're going to win six, seven, eight games. Baker Mayfield was the first pick of the draft for a reason. There's a reason he keeps getting opportunities. And they got a great receiving core and some, some studs on defense. But Kirk Cousins... 344 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. There's no run game, it looks like, out there in Minnesota now that Dalvin Cook's gone. Madison just, I mean, look, we're going off one week, but we know they got receivers. Jefferson, Addison, Hawkinson. The Eagles, they had a really tough game against the Patriots as well. Now, they did come away with the win. Eagles are a six-point favorite at home. I'm sure you're going with your Eagles, right? Absolutely. You have Prime Video. That's the only way you'll be able to watch it. I do have Prime Video. I might watch it on the Alexa in my kitchen. I got the one with the screen. There but you look, go. I, Kirk Cousins in prime time. Not the best. But, man, I love some Kirk Cousins. And whenever you doubt him, that's when he shows something. 
I think I'm a rock with the Vikings tonight because Philadelphia, they lose their running back gain well. Swift didn't look good. I think there's a lot of holes in their skill positions, especially when it comes to running the ball. And I don't think Jalen Hurts can lead your team in rushing every week and really be that consistent. But look, I don't Losing know. at Philly tonight? Yeah. No, sir. Not going to happen. Sorry. Yeah. I saw they were already camping out at 4 a.m. <laughs> this morning. They were getting up early like Lee. But hey, final drive continues. We'll be right back. The Sound of Mobile presents For the, win. the final drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win. Yes. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Welcome to our number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Thursday afternoon. Want to thank everyone for tuning in. And if you have not downloaded the free Sound of Mobile app, make sure you do so to any Android or Apple device you may have. You can correspond with us on the app or just listen to us live throughout the day. And, you know, when you look at Major League Baseball is get ready to get towards October. The Atlanta Braves have handled business all year long, pretty much from start to finish. Lindsey Crosby, host of Locked On Farm and Braves today, joins us. And, Lindsey, no surprise, the beast of the East is still the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, I mean, the Braves clinched the National League East on September 13th. It's one of the earlier dates that I can remember a team having just run away with their division. And so, like, they're not done. They're, they, they made that point clear last night. Plenty of things to play for. They're working on home field advantage. But uh, this has been just as thoroughly of a domination as I can remember seeing in quite a long time. Lindsay, we've had this discussion on our show yesterday. As a matter of fact, what constitutes a dynasty? And sprinkled in these National League Division championships for the Atlanta Braves has been a world championship. And even going back to the 90s, the Braves weren't able to get to the top of the hill a couple of times, only able to get there once. To you, what constitutes a dynasty? And is this current Braves organization a true Major League Baseball dynasty? So I think you can call the 90s Braves a dynasty because they won, you know, 14 straight division titles. They only won one World Series, but they got there three or four times. This current Braves team feels like they have a huge competitive window. Like they should be able to do this for a long time. I think that they need to at least make one more World Series, if not win one more World Series before we can call them a dynasty, right? And, and to me, I think that the difference in a really good team in a dynasty is postseason success. And so the Dodgers, we think of the Dodgers as a really good team. They've made the playoffs you know, the last seven years, but they've only won one World Series. They've only made one World Series. And so I think that's the difference for me is you have to win at least one more. Yeah, I would agree with you on that part as far as the history-making offensive side and the explosiveness of this Atlanta Braves offense, Matt Olson, he, I mean, what he's been able to do from a home run standpoint, 
you know, looking him and Andrew Jones being mentioned together in the Braves record books, that's always an impressive one. And you always know what Mr. Junior, what he's capable of doing as far as being a stolen base guru, a hit guru, a home run guru, Mr. Do-It-All for the Atlanta Braves. To have so many guys so close to such records for for the team and for the league kind of says how dominant this team has been, right? So but Matt Olson's tied with Andrew Jones, 51 home runs, and you look at how many at how many games you have left, it's conceivable that Matt Olson could theoretically get to 60 home runs, but it's 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 going to be surprising if he doesn't have the single season record. He's also uh, four away from the team's RBI record, which was 132. I think that was 2003. And then the franchise's record is 135. And so like, Matt Olson's been incredibly dominant. And then Ronald Acuna is just making up new categories. Nobody's ever had a 40-70 season. He's three home runs and four stolen bases away. That feels like one good weekend away from doing that. Um, he's already broken Dale Murphy's record for runs scored in a season. Uh, this has been absolutely dominant for the Atlanta Braves in just about every facet, even, you know, home runs of the team, individual production, uh, pitching staff, strikeouts, Spencer Strider's 20 away from John Smoltz's record for the team. And so it's a good time to be a Braves fan, but it's also kind of illustrates just how dominant this team has been, that they lead major league baseball in so many categories, both individually and as a, a team. We're speaking with Lindsey Crosby, host of Locked On Farm, and you can also follow him at Braves today. And, Lindsey, where do the Braves go from here? You mentioned they want to continue to win, of course, but when you start looking at kind of load management, so to speak, that's frowned upon in the NBA now, <laughs> do the Braves go that route for the stretch, or do they keep guys fresh? What is the strategy here for the Atlanta Braves to prepare for October? It feels like from an offensive perspective, you, you want to keep these guys playing as much as you can because you, you are going to have a time period at the end of the season of about five or six days where you don't have any games. You wrap up the season on October 1st. You won't start your playoff series until October 7th. So from an offensive perspective, let the guys play as long as they want to keep playing. Matt Olson's one I'm thinking about in particular, Ronald Acuna Jr. They're both chasing uh, uh, records, let them keep playing. But from a pitching perspective, that's probably a scenario where you try to work some extra guys in, get some rest. We, we, we put a piece up today on Braveday.com about kind of the ideal way to do the rotation down the stretch so that your starters still get two or three starts. They're still fresh, but you're not overusing them and you're giving some, you know, some other players a chance to work back in and to, to see if they're ready for the postseason, like a Kyle Wright who came back from injury this week. So I think offensively, let these guys keep playing every day so they stay hot. From a pitching perspective, rest the arms a bit, stagger their starts, you know, maybe, you know, maybe skip a guy here and there and give their arms a chance to be healthy for the postseason. When you look in the American League West, a one-game lead for the Astros over the Rangers, that's going to be fun down the stretch. And the Orioles trying to hold off the early hot Tampa Bay Rays. The, the Orioles-Rays series is going to be a really interesting one this weekend. There's four games left. 
Baltimore has to win one of those games to have the season tiebreaker. They're separated by two games right now in the East, and they're just a couple games behind Atlanta for best record in baseball. And so to me, that's a really interesting series this weekend. But the Houston-Texas storyline is really good because Texas was running away with this division for the first half of the year. They really stumbled after the trade deadline. Houston took over. Texas has fought their way back into it. They're now second place in the wild card in a game behind Houston, but they also just lost Max Scherzer for what they expected the, the, the rest of the season to an arm injury. And so does Texas have the horses to keep up with Houston? And then can Tampa Bay catch up and get in front of Baltimore or not? Two really interesting storylines for the American League since the National League doesn't really have a lot of drama anymore. I think that as far as baseball is concerned, as we're looking at these final two weeks before we hit the playoffs and the wild cards, one of the biggest things that was talked about going into the season was the pitch clock and the adjustment there, the speed and the timing of the game. Overall, over this entire season, what have been your thoughts and the feedback from the players and yourself as a writer just watching the game and the speed of the game picking up? A lot of the position players that, that we've talked to like the pitch clock. They like, they feel like they're more engaged in the game. It moves at a more natural pace. A lot of the pitchers we've talked to have not been big fans of the pitch clock. And anecdotally, nobody's willing to go on the record about this, but a lot of guys have kind of speculated that the pitch clock and the addition of the pitch clock has been one of the reasons why it feels like we've seen more pitching injuries this year than we have in years past because pitchers haven't learned the balance of of throwing as hard as I can every single pitch with I have less time between pitches to catch my breath and to get ready for the next one. So so for the most part fans love it, position players love it pitchers not as much but they're learning to live with it and some of the smart ones have figured out oh here's how i can use the pitch clock to get an advantage but for the most part people are on board with the pitch clock and i honestly don't want to go back it's been so much easier and quicker trying to cover baseball with the pitch clock and this postseason i'm glad they're going to have it because those postseason games last year there were some that drug on for four hours and fans tune out of that it's hard on the players now it's going to be a lot easier for everybody to enjoy baseball. Any other changes that you see on the horizons? Because normally when they tinker with the rules, it is started in that farm system. And I know you're locked on the farm system with the rules <laughs> and, and the minor league baseball. But anything coming down the pipe moving forward that we need to look forward to in spring training that we right around the corner. But as the minor leagues are the guinea pig system. I think the big one's going to be automated balls and strikes. I don't think we're going to see the fully automated balls and strikes like they have in AAA for half of the week. But I think sometime soon, if not next season, we're going to have the challenge system where the, the automated balls and strikes are tracking everything. And if the pitcher, the catcher, or the, or the hitter thinks that the umpire got it wrong, they can ask for a challenge, and it's immediately on the board. In, the, in 10 seconds, you see – from the automated balls and strike, was the call correct or not by the, by the umpire? And I think that's going to be coming. Every minor leaguer that I've talked to, for the most part, loves it. There's less arguments with, with umpires. 
There's more certainty about, like, if I get messed up with a pitch, I can fix it. I think that's coming rather quickly, maybe even as soon as next season. There really have been some egregious calls made by umpires this year that have the availability of replays. So I think that's why you start to see not only minor league players, but major league players probably pushing for automation also. Yeah, if we have the ability to get it right, let's get it right. And Major League Baseball will admit that the completely automatic balls and strikes is not ready for full-time use at the Major League level. But the challenge system is rather easy. Having been to games that have it, it doesn't take you out of the flow of the game. And it's actually kind of exciting if it's a dramatic, say it's a 3-2 pitch and the pitcher and the batter strikes out and he challenges it. It's actually pretty dramatic for those 7 or 10 seconds until you get the replay and you know whether or not it was a correct call. So I think it's coming. It's just a matter of time. And every time an umpire egregiously blows a call on national television, that just makes it that much closer to happening. Nothing new with the Atlanta Braves clinching their sixth straight National League East title. And I know your continued coverage of this stretch run this last couple of weeks as the Braves prepare for postseason play is approaching. But if people want to follow your tremendous coverage of not only the Braves, but the minor league system, the big time pickups by the Auburn Tigers pitching staff for, for next year and the baseball program for next year, how can people follow you? Thanks for the question, Corey. So I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. That's the hub of everything. If it's the Auburn baseball coverage, it's going to be at AuburnDaily.com. If it's the minor league coverage, that's locked in MLB prospects. If it's the uh, the major league coverage, BravesToday.com. But all that stuff runs through me on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Lindsay, thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you again next week as these pennant races heat up. Thanks for having me, Corey. Lindsey Crosby joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back to talk a little bit more NFL. Aaron Rodgers speaks on his Achilles injury yesterday for the first time. And the NFL, is it going to be turf or is it going to be grass? The and NFL the, Players Association. And are the robots yeah. taking over. And, and Nick says, <laughs> are the robots taking over in the NFL? We'll give you the heads up on robots really taking over one NFL game. We'll be right back. Hello, this is artist Daniel A. Moore. You are listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey, I've got a question for you. Well, actually, I actually have another question for you. Did you ever watch The Equalizer 3? Have not seen The Equalizer 3 yet. I have not been to the theaters. I My A-list membership at AMC lapsed. I had to get a new debit card, and that was not my top priority. I've been watching movies at home. But there is a movie that's about to come out called The Creator. It stars John David Washington. That's Denzel Washington's son. Mm-hmm. And it's about, you know, these AI robots, these humanoid <laughs> mixture thing. You get it. You get it. Sci-fi stuff. Well, if you were at the SoFi Stadium over the weekend, some of these 
AI robots are actually in the crowd and walking amongst the field, and they've got all this mechanical wiring on the back of their head. Now, studios have done these different type of promotions, right? I remember when that horror movie Smile came out. They had people in the stands at baseball games just smiling the whole game. I don't know what they were getting paid. I'm sure their jaws were in pain uh, for what I don't know if the pitch clock was going at that point. Hopefully it was. But I, I like when movies do these kind of interesting type of promotions where it's going to go probably viral from like a fan recording the guy sitting next to them with their little motorized helmet or whatever. So I thought it was kind of interesting. It, it really it's hard to tell whether it's a human or a robot. And that's they the, don't break character. No, they do not break character the way they blink. And everything right. looks like artificial intelligence at its best. But it does look like a human sitting next to you or walking the sidelines to where you're trying to figure out, okay, is this truly a robot or is this yeah. a human? Which one is it? And that's the scary part about AI and the way that it's taken over. That's right. And you know what? I'll probably check out the movie. I like John David Washington, the guy who directed this movie. He's the guy that did that Rogue One Star Wars movie that come out, so it'll probably be pretty good. Yeah, all that is all that is definitely good. And what's good is to hear Aaron Rodgers chime in on yeah. his injury because people are saying at when he turns forty years old trying to recover from this Achilles injury that his career is done. Do you think Aaron Rodgers is done? Um no, because I don't think – I think Aaron Rodgers is probably just stubborn enough to not let this be the way he goes out. So I do think he'll be back for sure. And I know you love movies. He referenced, the night is darkest before the dawn, and I shall rise yet again. Proud of my guys, 1-0. and oh. And he thought that he, he wanted to reach out to everybody and said he's completely heartbroken and – moving through all the emotions and deeply touched and humbled by all the support and love and keep him in your thoughts and prayers as he begins the healing process. Yeah, I, I know uh, Garrett Wilson, he said that at halftime in the locker room, Aaron Rodgers just said, sorry, kid. I mean, if that's not a line out of a movie, I don't know what is. Sauce Gardner said that he was doing their secret handshake to no one in the mirror or whatever. Uh, you just know that all those young players were really psyching themselves up and really getting hyped up to play with. You know, you got to think. Think of the age of Wilson and Sauce Gardner. They were watching Aaron Rodgers as the best quarterback in the NFL the majority of the time they were watching football growing up. And now all of a sudden you have that chance. You're, you're all riled up, and then it gets ripped away from you that quick. It stinks, man. It really stinks. But it's good to see that he's in at least somewhat positive spirits. And I think the Jets are gonna I think the Jets are gonna end up being okay. So grass or turf, that is the question the NFL Players Association wanna chime in on. Uh, is are there or do you think there are more injuries caused by the turf? Then there are natural grass surfaces. I, I don't know the studies. I haven't seen the studies, but I think that I don't necessarily think that injury was caused by that turf. And let's not forget that Super Bowl 
where this was supposed to be the best grass ever grown. And what was happening? Everyone just kept slipping all over the place. So I don't know. I, I think turf is obviously easier to manage. Grass. That's what it is. There's a lot more variability with the grass. I don't know. It I really don't have an opinion on It down to money and upkeep yeah. and events. Because if you're an owner and you have a stadium to where you're over the stadium, you own a franchise, but you don't own the turf itself or what goes on throughout. It's a, it's a revenue-generating product outside of football to where you're able to hold concerts or what have not. It's a lot easier to pull in and out of that turf than it is to get it in the grass. Now, right. you mentioned the problems that you have when you unveil new grass at the Super Bowl and the slippage that can go on. I, I, I don't know. I know this, that people say that it's faster on turf. You have a faster track. But there is no give on turf. There's obviously give on grass. And give on ankles, give on knees. Aaron Rodgers' injury was not caused to me because of the turf. I mean, have we not had the sports scientists get in there and create, like, the perfect NFL-grade turf where it has the same give as dirt underneath grass? Like, I, where are we at on the on the advancements of turf science, I don't know, but it's not like the NFL doesn't have the budget to spearhead that research. But it's something that is now being spearheaded because the NFL Players Association has jumped in, and they're saying we we would rather have grass. When you poll most of the players in the NFL, not all, but some or a majority enough want to go ahead and have natural grass, national playing surfaces. Now, I know back in the day, when you look in the Saints' turf, you look at the Giants' turf, when you were playing on basically cement when turf first debuted, uh, Astrodome, Astrodome, you look at the, the edges of the carpet that would come up and not be sewn back down you go to planning that, and you're going to be jacked up. I think turf has come a long way since that with the invention because there were no rubber pellets in turf in the 70s and 80s. That, that, that didn't exist. You were basically be playing on top of cement, so you might as well have been playing back in the backyard or in the street for an NFL player playing on turf. But grass is that natural surface, and grass to me is a good look. I just don't I like, think the think owners the are going to go cleaner to. looking. The turf is cleaner looking. The colors pop more on the turf. Um, and I don't know. I feel like, like, do you remember during the NBA playoffs when Giannis got hurt and then they were saying, is it time to ban charges? When a big star player gets hurt, I feel like we go through this same routine every time. Can we ban whatever it was that we think is the cause of it? Sometimes it's just a freak accident, I feel. No, I mean, it, it really was. You play that game a hundred more times. How many times does that injury happen? Who else got injured that night? You know? no. It's not like everyone was just going down left and right. It was the injury-prone 40-year-old quarterback who went down. So I don't know how much it really is the field, but 
I haven't done the research, and I'm sure they will do it. But I think if turf was really causing that many injuries, we wouldn't have it. No, I mean, Commissioner Goodell chimed in yesterday and said, look, it, we're going to address the players' concerns. And Coach Sala said he doesn't think the playing surface caused Rodgers' injury. It was a non-contact injury when that Achilles did rupture. And they're going to continue to be studies because I know Real Sports with Brian Gumble. I love that show. They did a study on turf versus grass. Yeah. And I think no matter how you can slant your story, you can try to figure out the advantage of both. And when kids are used to playing on turf growing up, whether it's through soccer or whether it's through football, and now all these high schools that do have turf, it's less upkeep. But it's still about all the money that can be generated. But it's going to be up for debate. Corey LeBounty taking the Willie Nelson stance. He is pro-grass. I love grass, my brother. Love the grass, man. The natural grass, that is, Nick. The natural grass. Coming up here on the final drive, we'll go and talk a little Coastal Alabama Coyotes. Up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. This is Will Herring, a member of the Auburn family. When I'm in Mobile, I listen to WNSP 105.5. The final drive on WNSP 105.5, and it's a privilege to welcome the head coach for Coastal North. That's Coastal Alabama North. The Coyotes are going through a rebranding of their program and debuting the men's and women's golf teams in Bruton. Joining us is head coach David Jennings. How's it going, David? It's going great, guys. Thank you for having me on this afternoon. I really appreciate that. It's our pleasure, and you're having a new program starting from scratch in Coastal North in Bruton. Talk to us about the men and women's programs and getting it started. I would love to, and I, and I want to start by recognizing our, our Coastal's president, Dr. Craig Pouncey, for his vision for the school system, uh, having the different campuses under one umbrella, and then, of course, our athletic director, uh, Daniel Head, being a part of what campuses would host what sports. The Bruton campus, uh, Coastal North, uh, was chosen to have men and women's golf. Uh, we also have that down at the Baymanette campus, but we're excited to have that up here in Bruton. We have uh, eight full scholarships for both boys and girls in this, our first year. We're obviously a first-year program, but we are not startup. Uh, our boys' team is going to be really competitive. I'm really excited about uh, the, the, the fall season and the spring season that awaits us. On the girls' side, it was a little smaller talent pool for us to choose from. Uh, we got a little bit of a late start you know, coming on staff in April. We were able to secure four scholarship players. We're excited about them and what they're going to do in the spring. Uh, we have some scholarships available in January. So if there's anybody out there uh, that, that, that wants to, to get a full scholarship, get some uh, education paid for, play golf, we'd love to hear from you, get you to come up and, and, and play with us and see what we're about. Um, we love our campus. We love the programs we have. We love the teachers we have, the support staff, support staff on campus. We have a fine package here and excited about putting it out there and seeing what we can be in the, in the, in the years to come. Golf is one of those sports that is year-round here along the Gulf Coast and having an opportunity to have both a men and women's golf team in Bruton, part of the Coastal Alabama North program that is 
on the uptick, you're looking for players, those high school athletes or those that have played that would be interested in reaching out to you, Coach Jennings. How can they do so if they love golf and want to have their education paid for while swinging the clubs? I'm going to give them a couple of ways. They can certainly contact me on my cell phone number. That is 251-363-0427. I don't always answer the call, but I certainly return all the calls. If you want to text me and and, and tell me a little bit about yourself, I'll certainly get in contact with you. And then, of course, my email address there at Coastal Alabama is david.jennings at coastalalabama.edu. david.jennings at coastalalabama.edu. I'd like to throw this one more plug in uh, for our program here. Um, Coach Ed was a big part of this. And, of course, Mike Thompson, um, the, the general manager of Juniper Creek Golf Club, we have a working relationship with them. That is our home course. That's our practice facility. That's where we are. I'm, I'm here at practice this afternoon. But it's a Jerry Pate designed golf course. You won't find a better place, a better facility to go work on your game, to get to play a challenging course. There's four sets of tee boxes. So we can set it up any way we need to to prepare our young people. Uh, I think that was a draw for us this first signing period. Like I mentioned with the boys, uh, we got top-tier players. Um, we, we have kids who could have gone to a number of different places. They chose us because of what we had to offer, and this golf course had a lot to do with it. And uh, the, the club, the Juniper Creek, has been so good to give us access to it on any day that it's open, which is Tuesday through Sunday. The membership has received us well here. We, of course, made it an emphasis to leave a very small footprint while we're out here, obviously courtesy in terms of uh, uh, letting faster players play through, let members play through. They get the uh, their choice of the tee times. But this is just a wonderful, wonderful setup for us, and we're excited uh, that what we have in place. Continuing golf education, education and golf swings can all be had at Coastal Alabama Community College North in Bruton, Alabama. Scholarships available. You can contact Coach David Jennings. It's a new program for Coastal North, and you want to be a part of that. If you're a high school athlete, if you want that free education, that free scholarship to continue it, please reach out to David Jennings. David, how can people reach out to you one more time. I'm going to give you my cell phone number. That is 251-363-0427 or maybe email. That might be the easiest. That is david.jennings at coastalalabama.edu david.jennings at coastalalabama.edu Either way, we'd love to hear from you and I'd love to speak more about it get you to come up and, and play with us. Be part of the new Coyotes rebranding and program. Coastal North men and women's golf teams are available in Bruton. Coach Jennings, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Go Yotes. Coastal Alabama with new programs. We'll be talking with them each and every Thursday about the athletic opportunities for scholarships and the rebranding of the Coyote program. And coming up next, no rebranding needed for Marco Lee. He is one of the running backs for the South Alabama Jaguars. They'll enter Stillwater as only seven-point underdogs. He got into the end zone for the first time. He'll talk to us next to see whether he can get into the end zone again against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Saran Stacy. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. 
to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Thursday afternoon. And it's always great to talk to our local South Alabama Jaguars as they prepare to travel to Stillwater and take on Oklahoma State this Saturday. Marco Lee Jr., running back for the South Alabama Jaguars, joins us this afternoon. Marco, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. It's always great to, to talk with the Jaguar after a win. 11 carries for 66 yards and a touchdown against Southeastern Louisiana this past Saturday. How did it feel to get in that end zone for the first time this season? It felt great being able to actually cross the pylon for the first time. Um, I really felt like we could have did a little bit better running the ball last game, so it was it was like actually exciting being able to actually run the ball this this game. You guys really did turn it up. You look at having 248 total yards on the game against Southeastern Louisiana. I know that that's a big-time focus going against the Oklahoma State Cowboys on this Saturday. But talk about the big uglies up front in your offensive line who, who made some holes for you and the relationship that you have with them. Yeah, you know, uh, James Robinson, he's a big one. Um, Adrian Strickland, um, Josh McCollin, and um, the other guys, Reggie Smith, all of them. Um, they some good, good old line. You know, I, I like being able to run behind them because, like, they really, they really urgent with what they work. Y'all got a really deep running back room at South Alabama. What's your relationship like with the rest of the running backs? Oh, we all close. We all close together. You know. Um, well, the trail, you know, we, we hang around each other a lot. We got a good bond with each other. I know my good friend Braylon McReynolds goes down with that collarbone injury and possibly loss for the season. I know it's always tough when you see one of your brothers go down, especially one that's in the backfield with you as well. Yeah, it was it was tough seeing that. Uh, we just had to step up and, and do, the, do everything that we're doing for him right now. Marco, looking forward this weekend to Oklahoma State. I know that that's a big-time Power 5 program. It's another business road trip for Kane Warmick and your squad. Talk about the excitement of getting on the road. Is it easier to play a home game or a road game? Because sometimes on the road you don't have the distractions, but then again, you're not in the comfy confines of your own bed either. Nah, yes, definitely home games are easier in my eyes from my experience. Um, like you said, with, with all the distractions and stuff that could come about with the away games and all of that, um, a home game would be easier any day. Marco Lee Jr., senior running back for the South Alabama Jaguars, coming off an impressive one-touchdown performance against Southeastern Louisiana, 11 carries for 66 yards, long run of 13 for South Alabama. And, you know, when you look at everything that the Jaguars returned this year, offensively and defensively, I know that in the second half, what do you think the biggest difference was and how bad Coach Kane Womack peeled the paint off the locker room wall against Southeastern Louisiana and the way that you guys were able to come back in the second half and dominate your opponent? Um, it was just, you know, um, the the energy that we had coming out of the coming out of the second uh well coming out of the first half it was just a little bit different it was more urgent we actually felt and expected to go out there and uh make it happen.
being from Columbus, Georgia. What brings you to Mobile, Alabama? And, and coming to Mobile, Alabama, what, what impresses you most about not only the Jaguar family, but the community around Mobile, Alabama, and the Mardi Gras experience, and just when you see the battleship and the port city, and knowing that Mobile is the original home of Mardi Gras? Um, I actually didn't know that until I came on my first visit. When I came on my first visit, um, I was with uh, Maurice Strong, and um, he just showed me around the city, and it was re it was really exciting being able to uh, meet with the team and see the different different type of people and everything in the in the city. So, um, no, it's a, it's a real big thing. But what brought me to um, South Alabama was Coach Bradford. Um, he got me out of um, my last school. I was at um, Virginia Tech, and um, he came and picked me up. So I'm like, "Hey, let me see what he's talking about." And then when I got here, it was it was everything I expected. So it's exciting to be here. In this past game, it was kind of tough sledding in that first half, only being seven to seven. But then in the second half, you really popped it open. What shifted there at halftime? Like I said, uh, coming out of coming out of the locker room, we just had a little bit more energy and, and expectation. Our expectations was a little bit higher uh, coming out um, coming out of the first half. But um, that's really the main thing, you know, um, um, fixing the mistakes and all that, and then figuring out a way to make it happen, which is with, with the energy and effort that we brought. Coach Walmack gives a good uh, halftime speech. He's good at getting y'all fired up. Yes, always. He always get us fired up. Yeah, I love that about Coach Womack. His enthusiasm is contagious. Going on the road, Stillwater, Oklahoma. 55,000 fans in the black and orange as you guys have a chance to defeat the Cowboys. We mentioned moments ago about how deep the running back room is for the Jaguars. Do you think that that will wind up taking a toll as the game comes along on Saturday? Uh, yes, most definitely. Like, um, with the amount of running backs we got, we got uh, versatility in the room. So it's like we come out in multiple different ways. I love that about Coach Applewhite and his versatility as the offensive coordinator. I, I see where Oklahoma State only giving up 116 and a half yards per game. And I know that that's something if you guys are able to have that type of offensive balance coming in to where Carter Bradley protects the football, the receivers are catching it, and you guys are rushing by committee, that's the correct formula to come away and really shock everyone who is not believing in South Alabama. Yes, sir. Marco Lee joining us this afternoon here on the final drive in going into Stillwater, Oklahoma this Saturday. What excites you the most about this Saturday's kickoff? I mean, it's the, it's the it's a big game really because of the next game. So, I mean, it's just exciting being able to actually go on our first well, our second road game for the um for the season and um actually being able to play like a team, a big team like this. So, it's really exciting being able to uh, prepare for this team and 
have a chance and opportunity to go out there and make it happen. Absolutely. We'll watch you guys make it happen this coming Saturday at 6 o'clock p.m. South Alabama versus Oklahoma State on ESPN+. Plus. Marco Lee Jr., senior running back for the Jaguars, got a chance to taste the end zone for the first time this past Saturday. Hopefully he'll get a chance to do his cowboy shuffle over there on the sidelines as well after he's gotten into the end zone. Marco, thank you so much for your time, and best of luck, and Jay's up. Jay's up. All right. That was Marco Lee, South Alabama. Great guy. Guy who lets his game uh, do the talking for sure. But he had a good game against Southeast Louisiana. So hopefully he can repeat that success at Oklahoma State. It's not going to be as easy, though. Opened up the door, Braylon McReynolds, for another running back to come in. And he opened it. The end zone, that is. Huge time player, big time player coming from Virginia Tech. So we'll see if he can pay those dividends this weekend for Kane Womack as the Jaguars are going to try to find a way to come away with an upset. That's right. And as you guys know, the 5 o'clock hour is the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Titan Tiger Report. So this might be our last chance to talk in the NFL with a really good Thursday night NFL matchup. The Vikings with something to prove. Kirk Cousins, they're coming into Philadelphia. And then Philly, they're trying to defend their home turf after a rather lackluster win against a not-that-talent-filled New England Patriots roster. I know you're rocking with the Eagles. I said I'm going to rock with my guy, Kirk Cousins. And you still have the Eagles. Now, in that Patriots game, did any were there any red flags on this Eagles team? Like I brought up the running backs. Was yeah, that, they let them come back. Yeah. They were up 16-0, to and you let them come back. Go ahead and crush them. Put them out of their misery. Knock Kirk Cousins out early. Be done with the Vikings. Don't let Justin Jefferson hurt you. Keys to the Eagles getting back to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, I, the smart man would pick the Eagles. But the smarter man would go against all odds. And look, I if you've seen Netflix quarterback, there's no way you're not a Kirk Cousins guy. I watched that. I already like Kirk Cousins. I liked Kirk Thuggins, as they were saying when he had a shirt off and the chain <laughs> on. I like that. Um, oh, another breaking news that we didn't get to yesterday. Uh, so the season two of Netflix quarterback, they were having some issues figuring out who was going to be the quarterbacks in that show, a lot of players turned it down. Justin Fields turned it down. Joe Burrow turned it down. But we do have confirmation that at least one of the quarterbacks is going to be Los Angeles Rams' Matthew Stafford. So I guess if you're not getting along with the young guys in the locker room, might as well make a TV show out of it. That's a great angle for them to take as far as him trying to bridge that gap. And we'll see how the Rams wind up doing here. But Monday night football on the horizon but first you get you have prime video you said nick i do people are going to be looking tonight trying to find that That's and right. like where's this game where's this game prime video folks it's on prime and you can get you a free trial you can get you a 14-day free trial that's the way to go early. and then get you another email address <laughs> and just you're just gonna have to do that for 17 weeks 
<laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> the cat's out the bag now, Nick. Yeah. You, 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 you should have said, hey, look, just try it and see what happens. You don't have eight email addresses for no reason, right? <laughs> That's a fact, too. <laughs> That's a fact, too. The Tide and Tiger Report. We're looking at the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Ike Jones War Report will give us all our Auburn news, and Gary Harris will fill us in on the Alabama dynasty that is the Crimson Tide. The final drive, we'll be right back. This is the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LaVounty and Nick Wiggins. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app. Here are Corey and Nick. Welcome to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. On this Thursday afternoon, it's a rainy Thursday afternoon here in Mobile, Alabama. We, we've we gone without rain for so long, and now it's back-to-back days of rainy weather here on the Gulf Coast. And it, it's not raining on Auburn's parade because Auburn, folks, is 2-0, and trying to make that 3-0 and this Saturday versus the Sanford Bulldogs. Co-founder of The War Report, Ike Jones joins us this evening. Ike, how's it going, my friend? It's not too bad, not too bad. Not raining right now, but expect it'll tomorrow down there on the plains, but we'll see how it goes. Well, when you look at the Auburn come-from-behind win, Auburn fans are saying, look, we know our offense was ugly, but we are still finding a way to come away with the victory. That's all that matters. Listen, uh, at the end of the day, the, the, um, the number in the column went up another one. So you find some in that. It wasn't pretty by any means, but you got to find a way to just survive and advance something. And that's what they found a way to do this past Well, Ike, we have a bad connection. So my producer is going to call you right back to see if we can get reestablished. Don't know if that has anything to do with our bad weather on our end. But, yes, Auburn does lose the fact that, Look, they had nothing to lose going out to the West Coast and trying to find a way to win. And Hugh Freeze getting his error started the right way with an ugly win, but I guarantee Hugh Freeze, when he made the decision to go ahead and become the play caller for Auburn on that last touchdown drive, he knew that the improvement was going to have to be there for Auburn moving forward. And Sanford is a team that, Auburn is expected to probably beat by 38, 39 points plus, and I know we do have Ike back with us. Ike, thanks for for getting back on with us. We were talking about how ugly that victory was, but you'll take that ugly victory any day. Listen, like I was trying to say, as long as the number in the win column ticks up another uh, digit, then I think we're going to be okay. But you prefer to have a prettier showing. But, uh, hey, listen, I'm, I'm happy with a win, but there is some work to be done. Well, I think that Hugh Freeze, 
one thing I love and admire about him is his transparency and his honesty with not only his players, but the media as well. And he said, look, if I have two quarterbacks, I don't want a two quarterback system. I want my quarterbacks to push one another. But what does he truly mean by saying he doesn't want a two quarterback system? But does that mean that if one struggles, he's going to go ahead and put the other in or for the rest of the game? Or is it just a series? Because Jason Campbell was on our show on Monday and said, look, it's hard when you have two quarterbacks to get into a rhythm. Yeah, I, I think the way that the two quarterbacks were utilized against Cal was not ideal. Um, he, I think he really kind of wants some sub-package stuff, and it makes sense for certain plays just like you would a Wildcat uh, back, right? And you might take back out. But uh, the other portion of that is something that you mentioned, which is if one of them's struggling, then I should be able to put my other quarterback in. And, we, and so you ride the hot in that regard. But uh, the way it, it happened with Cal, it was just too convoluted. You didn't really have any room to those guys going in and out of the game. Speaking with Ike Jones, co-founder of The War Report, does a great job of everything Auburn 365. You get Jarquez Hunter making his debut as an Auburn running back on the road and wasn't explosive, but I know Auburn fans were just happy to see him dressed out and ready to play. Yeah, definitely happy to see him back in action. It was um, pretty for me as well. He looked rusty. He looked like he was pressing a little bit early, but he looked he started to get in a groove later on in the game. So hopefully another game of duty he'll be able to get back in this weekend and really back into the rhythm of things. Y'all had a tough game, like we mentioned, against Cal, but now you've got an easier opponent this week before you start your SEC play against Texas A&M. What do you think Auburn needs to tune up on the offense and defensive side of the ball before they kick off against Texas A&M? Uh, from the offensive standpoint, we've got to get some something in a pass game that looks like the forward pass is really a part of our offense. Uh, I think we've established that we can run the ball fairly well, but the pass game has got to get some continuity. Uh, defensively, Stanford's going to run the air raid, so this is going to be a good opportunity to really test how well we are sound in our assignments on the back end and being able to defend the pass. Um, I think we did well against the run against Cal, uh, so I don't know how well Stanford's going to test that, but definitely need to make sure that our pass concepts and our defense are, are sound there. The pass concepts are going to be huge for Auburn. I don't know if it's Peyton Thorne just not targeting or looking at his entire wide receiver core, but Auburn really has not have and not known for 1,000-yard wide receivers, but it is probably a frustrating situation to know that Auburn does have capable receivers that can go and catch that football, especially when you look at Fairweather not even really being targeted one week ago or prior to the California game in the opener against UMass. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely frustrating because you, you look at Coach Hugh Freeze and even uh, Coach Montgomery's offenses in the past and you see prolific passing numbers from them and you come in with the expectation that this is going to be the year that Auburn starts to show the ability to throw the pass and it just has not seemed to be the case thus far. Um, you know, there's a portion of the fan base that feels like, oh, we're just trying to hold things back before we get to SEC play. And then there's another portion, and I happen to reside in that other portion. It's like, I don't know that we really got it together enough 
and we really need to start going out there and showing it. And this is going to be the last opportunity before, like you said, we begin SEC play to really get some game reps of doing that. So hopefully we'll see it this weekend. Whether Ike, the question I have is, do you think the Auburn rushing, and I know you're playing Sanford this week, but when you do enter that first SEC game on the road in one of the most toughest environments to play in in the entire SEC, does the running game get started before the passing game, or do they both hit their stride on Saturday versus Sanford and continue to go into Texas A&M with a lot of balance? You know, I, I think the way that this is supposed to run is you let the defense dictate uh, which direction you're going to go. If they're going to stack the box, then we need to have answers on the outside, the receivers, and vice versa. If they're going to have a live box, then we're going to throw the ball. Uh, we just need them operate in that way where, regardless of what the defense does, have an answer for it and be content that if they're going to stack the box, we'll use the short passing game to supplement not having a run game um, and allow the run game to open up. And, and again, the, the opposite, if they're saying, okay, we don't think you can run on us, we're going to just line it up, we'll run the ball, and then we'll try to hit you with the play action so deep. Just allow yourself to play the flow of the game, and I think they'll be okay. We just have not shown it so far. Well, I know that Auburn fans are looking for that explosion versus Sanford at Jordan-Harris Stadium. What would it mean? We'll go ahead, and, and I, I know that coaches, it will drive coaches nuts to say, look ahead of Sanford, but you, you know that that's gonna, that W is going to happen. It's just going to be a matter of how many they're going to win by. But what would it mean for this team to start 4-0 and going on the road to Texas A&M and finding a way to really get things together, whether it's a struggle win, it's an ugly win, but to be 4-0 and after this Texas A&M game in a couple of weeks? Uh, it would mean that you're two wins away from a bowl game, something that you have not done, um, didn't do last season, and you'd be in a position to already be ahead of schedule for where some people have predicted Auburn to be, right? You still got New Mexico State later in the season, so you're going to get a fifth. You just got to sneak one more win in the SEC to be able to get bowl eligible. So you put yourself ahead of the curve and you, you have less struggle on the back half of your schedule to figure out how to get into a bowl game with a lot of confidence because that is a road win in the SEC as well. I know that recruiting has already been ramped up from the time Hugh Freeze arrives on campus and he continues to, to spawn interest from recruits from across the country, not just in the bordering states here in the Southeastern Conference. Talk about the in-depth difference that Hugh Freeze has made in recruiting for Auburn. Coach Hugh Freeze has put a program together with recruiting that's allowing Auburn to not feel as if you don't if you don't land one or two guys, your class is done. Right? He's he's not really conceding that these four and five stars are not going to come to Auburn. I think they're getting in recruiting battles. Even if a kid is committed, they're continuing to keep the line of communication open with them. And I think that that gives Auburn fans some hope some uh, excitement about where this potential class could land at the end of all of this. Already in striking distance 10, and the class hasn't closed yet. So looking forward to seeing how they continue to work on some of those guys and, and close this class, but to be in a better spot than Auburn's been in the last few years. 
Ike, your prediction for Saturday's game versus Samford. What do you think would be that point total for Auburn? Uh, I mean, if I'd be happy with uh, 40 points, uh, but, you know, but honestly, I, I've watched some Sanford tape and no disrespect to Sanford. I'm in the Birmingham area, so love the guys from around here. But I think they need to put up six and just go out there and really show a display of offense um, while giving up a ton of points. If Sanford gets 14, you know, it's time points or something like that, but I, I go out there and put up a big number and really show that this offense is in gear, and I'd love to see that. Well, we love to see your continued coverage of the Auburn Tigers each and every week. How can people follow the great things that are going on with the War Report? Yeah, they can just uh, check out at the War Report on all social media. We are the War Report on YouTube. Go to thewarreport.com to be able to link with us there. I am at TWR Jones, and uh, you can follow me there. Appreciate it, Ike. We'll be talking to you very soon. All right. You guys have a great day. Ike Jones, co-founder of The War Report. You can catch him on his podcast, YouTube. You can check him out on X. Continues to deliver that great War Eagle coverage each and every day. We'll take a quick break here on the final drive, and you're listening to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Bo Manning, my co-producer of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 Mobile. Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Nick. Welcome back to Gulf Coast Auto Tech's Tide and Tiger Report. Corey, I've got a question for you. Shoot. How many games do the Auburn Tigers win this season? Six would get them in a bowl game, so I've always said nine is national coach of the year worthy for Hugh Freeze. Wow. But at the beginning, I was going over under seven, so I'm, I'm still going to say the Tigers can become bowl eligible with six and that would put them 4-0 and if they're able to beat Texas A&M. I think it's all going to hinge um, on what they're able to do on the road at Texas A&M in that first SEC yeah. opener because if you're able to get that huge road win, as Ike just mentioned, that would give you four automatically, and then you have, you'll be favored against New Mexico as they come to Jordan-Hare, that would give you five. So really all you would need is one more SEC win somewhere along the way to become bowl eligible. And six wins would be delightful for Auburn Tiger fans in Hugh Freeze's first year. All right, we had a listener, I think it was Patrick, who called in a few days ago, and I posed the question to him, who wins more games, Colorado or Auburn? Because you talk about coach of the year. Right now, I think uh, Deion Sanders has to be a heavy, heavy favorite. Yeah, I mean, anytime you go from one total win, where else do you have to go, Nick? I mean, butt up. That's right. You, you got that in week one. You, you hit your value in week one against a, a ranked national opponent. So Auburn, even though Texas A&M is not going to come in – ranked 
next week, it's still an SEC West foe. It's still an opportunity before they go to divisionless football for Auburn to go on the road and get them one. And I know that that would make Damian Craig, who is on Jimbo Fisher's offensive staff and Bobby Petrino's staff, that that would probably be bittersweet for him, knowing that his current employer in Texas A&M was unable to defeat his alma mater, Auburn, at home. Well, I mean, look, after Texas A&M, it gets really tough for Auburn because then all of a sudden you're playing Georgia. Then all of a sudden you're playing LSU. Then you're playing Ole Miss, Mississippi State. It it really eases up there with Vanderbilt, uh, Arkansas. They've had some struggles. And then New Mexico State, Alabama. I think they are going to finish right around that uh, six-win mark. And Texas A&M is really going to be the hinge, I think, on if they can really blow this door open because if Auburn can play well against Texas A&M, then all of a sudden you might be looking at an eight-win team. If Auburn looks bad against Texas A&M, then all of a sudden you might be looking at that five, maybe six-win team. So you, you have You have somebody in the app that says, okay, if we beat A&M, I think we beat and take UGA to the wire. Oh, wow. No, not going to happen with it Auburn and Georgia. It might be good, a good game because, let's think, Georgia isn't playing any relative competition up to that point, right? Auburn is going to be that first game for them, is it? Or who does Georgia play right before Auburn? Let me check. Because it's all about the timing. Yeah, so Georgia plays South Carolina this week. If that game is within a two-touchdown score, Auburn might have a little something in keeping that game close because then they have UAB. It's all just about if you can be that first team to smack someone in the mouth when they're not expecting it. That's why I was so confident in Texas beating Alabama because it was just so early in the season before you can get all your things ready. And Georgia's had some questions with their quarterback play, uh, Carson Beck, up to this point. So... I don't know. We'll see. It'll definitely be, hopefully, a good game. I don't think you're going to be getting routed 40 to 7 or anything like that. I mean, wh- what would you think that score would be in a Georgia Auburn game? In Georgia Auburn in Auburn mm-hmm. with the Bulldogs the week prior to you, having yeah. an opportunity to feast on the UAB Blazers. Well, that's a rivalry game. And it's hard to predict because the, the A&M game hasn't been played yet. Deep South's oldest rivalry game. Right. But Georgia would win, probably be favored by at least 14 or more. Yeah. If you were to put out those odds right now. And I would still expect Georgia to defeat Auburn by 14 or more. I think it would be close going into the half. And I think that it would still be a one-score game at the end of the third quarter. But I think Georgia would find a way to pull away at the end of the fourth quarter because Hugh Freeze's project is not yet completed. He doesn't have all the bullets in the gun. He doesn't have all the weapons at his disposal the way that he would like to. Because I remember vividly Hugh Freeze putting it on Alabama two years in a row 
back-to-back years smacking Nick Saban in the face and making sure the Crimson Tide were not going to be an undefeated team because Hugh Freeze had a fully loaded arsenal. And it makes a huge difference. And I know that Hugh Freeze, he, he's put he's put the SEC on notice. He's put the state on notice. That's right. Uh, but I still say Georgia, two touchdown favorite or more against Auburn. But Auburn, I do believe, can go to Texas A&M and win. Okay, see, look, I was high on Texas A&M this year. I don't know why. Jimbo going to Jimbo, no matter what. Petrino going to Petrino, too. Yeah, I think Texas A&M does beat Auburn, though. Well, they really need to, or Jimbo can be really looking at probably not making it out of college He's station. The highest odds on being the first college football coach fired. Rightfully so. Hey, look, if I'm Jimbo, fire me. You owe me 70-plus mil. Shoot, that's right. I would love to be a uh, an unemployed college football coach. It doesn't sound like a bad gig. I see no, Ed he doesn't Ogeron have to worry out about there on the beach all the time. No, he doesn't have to worry about much on that type of buyout. You're listening to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Gary Harris coming up next to cover the Alabama Crimson Tide. Hi, this is Cornelius Bennett, three-time All-American College Football Hall of Fame, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Nick. Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. We heard from Ike Jones from the War Report. Gary Harris, sports director at WVUA 23 in Tuscaloosa, also host of the Gary Harris Show weekdays from 9 to 11 a.m. on Tide 100.9, scheduled to join us here. And Alabama's subject has been all week long about the inability for the offensive line to be able to give Milrow time and be able to create running lanes for the running backs. It's been about Milrow throwing the two interceptions. It's been about Alabama not being ready to play a, a contender like Texas in one of the most electric environments ever in the history of Alabama football. So a lot of different narratives to sit on. And Coach Saban, he's been told about all the naysayers criticizing his program, former players saying, look, we're not living up to the standard. And Alabama's head coach comes out today and said, y'all are absolutely right. We deserve this criticism. We, we have to have this criticism. And it's criticism to talk about. And if it's deserved criticism, then there you have it. So I think that Alabama is in a situation to where you definitely have to become better at what you're doing. Nick Saban, the players have to be held accountable for what they're doing. And like you said, just block out the outside noise and take care of themselves. 
That's right. And look, Nick Saban himself even said, look, the critics are right. It's warranted. And look, I, I'm, I'm just taking that as him saying that I'm right. He said that we're not jerks, right? You critique if you're not living up to that standard, and he's not. But look, let's hear Nick Saban say it himself. Um, again, I, I talked to the players about internal standard versus external noise. And, um, you know, I think that we didn't play great. So, you know, people get upset that we get criticized. But why wouldn't we get criticized if we don't play well? I mean, people call me and say, hey, man, I, this guy's a jerk for, you know, saying this about you. Uh, no, he really isn't. I mean, it's, it's right. We didn't play good. I'm responsible for that. So we did all these things on offense that I just talked about, add them up. Well, I mean, I'm responsible for that. So, I mean, in the real world, when you don't perform and you don't produce, you probably get criticized, sometimes get penalized. Some people lose their job when they don't perform well. You know, that's maybe even worse than losing a game when you can't prove. Gary Harris joins us here on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. And Gary, I, I don't know, you've been covering Alabama for quite a long time. This is the softest Nick Saban I've ever seen, the most apologetic Nick Saban I've ever seen, the most kindest to the media Nick Saban I've ever seen. I, I don't know what to think, Gary. You're there every day. You cover the Alabama Crimson Tide every single day. What do you think? Well, I don't know, Corey. I mean, I, I've, I've seen a couple flare-ups from him, uh, you know, in the media. He did the Coke bottle. You know, it's just, uh, this is not a crystal ball deal. And uh, I think it's a different time. I mean, even than it was a few few years ago. I mean, players have, whether you like it or not, players have leverage. Players have a lot more power than they once had. And I think when you're handling a football team, uh, you want to coach hard. You want to try to get the guys better. But I do think you have to be able to work with them more because if they don't like it, they can leave, and they can leave right away. And, you know, people don't want to hear it. You know, people want to hear, well, Nick Saban's Nick Saban, and, you know, why isn't he Nick Saban? Well, he's had to evolve a lot uh, going back to the, you know, the RPOs and the um, different things they were doing with the spread, and he, he evolved there. And I think he's having to evolve to how he handles these teams. It's a different psyche from these kids. They're not, you know, they're not going to come in here anymore, and just because you tell them to do it that way are they going to do it i mean you've got to explain to them you've got to work with them so i don't know that i necessarily agree with that Corey. i don't think he's soft i just think he's having to coach this team uh the way he's having to coach it and the biggest thing to me is it's this is a good team i don't think this is right now an elite team when i look across the the, the roster, I see a lot of good. I see good wide receivers. I see good running backs. I see a good defensive line. I see good linebackers. I don't see elite. I don't see special. I don't see a Derrick Henry. You know, I don't see a, a Jalen Waddle and a, and, a, and a Jerry Judy and a Devontae Smith and a Calvin Ridley and a Henry Ruggs at wide receiver. You know, I don't see uh, Mika Fitzpatrick in the secondary right now. You know, I don't see a Reuben Foster or C.J. Mosley at linebacker or Quentin Williams at defensive line. So I, I think this this perception that Alabama is just uber talented, um, I don't know that I agree with that 100%. I, I think they're a good team. And as we know in the SEC, there are a lot of good teams. So good teams have a chance to get to Atlanta, but the days are just running through the tunnel. And I think in, in, in beating SEC teams by, I'm not saying they won't blow some teams out, but I, I think those days when you roll out on the 
the field and you know you're going to win the game are over. And this team's going to have to work. And they're going to have to win some close games. And they're going to be in some competitive games. I think they can very well get to Atlanta, but it won't be easy. And, and more so than whether Nick Saban's soft or, or he's not mean with the media, I think more than anything else, this team is a is a – good team it's not an elite team and they're trying to get better and i think that's what he's trying to do i think he's trying to bring this team along and you know people got upset with booker because he said you know after a loss he said well our goals are still in front of us well well, they are i mean you lost a game but the season's not over what are you supposed to do rant and rave and and pitch a fit because you lost a game you got to move on and i think that's what he's trying to do does this roster as it stands do you think it has the potential to be anything more than just a good team I do. I do. I think that this team is, and I said this before the season, not just after they lost the game. I think this team is going to be better in October than it is now, and I think it will be better in November than it is in October. The key is, can you get there and have the record that you need to get to Atlanta? You know, can you can you get through these games like Ole Miss next week and at Mississippi State the week after that and on through uh, the schedule and win enough games that you're in position to get to Atlanta to play for the SEC championship? If you can do that, I think this team is going to be a lot better better uh, at the end of the year than it is right now. So, yes, I think it has potential to beat a, a team that could still contend for a national championship and make it into the playoff. But you have to earn it. And right now, I think everybody saw, although I give Texas a lot of credit, I think Texas could really be an elite team. Uh, Alabama's got a loss, and they're going to have to move on, and they're going to have to get better, and they're going to have to work some things out. I think they have the potential to do that, but it's by you know no means is it guaranteed. Sports Director at WVUA 23 in Tuscaloosa, Gary Harris, our guest here on the Tide and Tiger Report. Gary, the the criticism of one Jalen Milrow, QB1, only his third career start against the Longhorns. And true enough, he did not read the coverage the way he probably should have on those two interceptions. But the criticism of this young man, I feel, is unwarranted. And I think he'll have an opportunity to start against South Florida, although I don't think he'll finish the game against South Florida. And I don't think he'll be the starter against Ole Miss. I I agree with you, Corey, for the most part. I I think that – he had an uneven game. He had two really bad interceptions. I mean, there's no other way around it. Two bad interceptions that that really ultimately helped toss Alabama the game. Having said that, he made some great plays and some great throws. And he made some plays when the snap was on the ground. We've seen a lot of that from the first two games. So um, I think he can play better. If he's going to be the quarterback, he needs to play better. But you're right. To put it all on Jalen Milrow, that's a cop-out. That, that's, that's unfair. As you said, it was only his third start of his career. And, you know, he's part of the issue on the offense, but isn't the center that keeps snapping the ball on the ground, isn't he part of the issue? I mean, I've, I've told Seth McGough and may have a hurt hand. Well, if he's got a hurt hand, put somebody else in there that can snap the ball. I mean, we keep saying replace the quarterback. you got to hold everybody accountable. If I, You know, you mentioned Nick Saban. Is he getting soft? I guess the one thing that I'm, I'm a little puzzled on, if I've got an issue with Nick Saban, it's when he keeps saying, uh, you know, don't waste a failure and, you know, you got to be accountable, and the way to get job security is to do your job. Well, if if that's the case, then maybe it's time to look at replacing some guys, and given not just a quarterback but at left tackle. Caden Proctor got taken to school in the Texas game. Seth McLaughlin snapping the ball on the ground. You know, running backs are missing blocking assignments. Uh, on defense, you've got a defensive line that can't pressure the quarterback. So, um, you know, you recruit all these great players. So if I've got an issue with Nick Saban, it's, he says on one hand, well, the way to have job security is to 
play well. And if you don't, we're going to put somebody else in there. But I don't see him putting anybody else in there. So uh, it's not just a quarterback. No way is it just a quarterback. This team's got other issues that they're going to have to work on and they're going to have to solve. Now, does Jalen Milrow need to play better? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I thought in the Texas game, again, you know, you, you have to give him credit for the good plays. He got, you know, Two touchdowns called back. One of them was a tip, but the other one to Burton was a great play that got called back because Caden Proctor had, had to tackle the defensive end to keep from getting Milrow sacked on the play. So he deserves credit for his good plays, too. But he needs to play better, but they all do. And that's what I'm saying. The key is to, to the drill is for this team to get better. And while they're getting better, hopefully you win games. And I'll say this, and, and, and only time will tell, but what I've seen from the SEC this year, I'm not so sure, at least on the regular season schedule, that Alabama – I think Alabama may have played the best team they're going to face on their regular season schedule already. So I, I definitely think they can beat anybody else left on their schedule. Having said that, if they don't play their best, they can lose three or four more games too. So it's going to be – they're going to be a lot like every other team in the SEC this year. You know, it's going to come down probably to three or four plays in three or four games. If they make those plays, they got a chance to get to Atlanta. If they don't, they'll be sitting at home. I'll agree with that. I do think that Texas is going to be their toughest opponent this year. Um, I'm curious, though, so they're playing South Florida, and then they got Ole Miss next weekend. What do you think the schematics, you know, you talk about execution at each individual position. Schematically, what do you think needs to shift and they need to work on to really be ready to win against Ole Miss? Well, Mike, I keep hearing that, that you know what, that they want to, teach Jalen Milrow the drop-back game. He wants to learn the drop-back game. They want to have the offense be interchangeable between the quarterbacks. Uh, I do think if Jalen Milrow is going to be your quarterback and you're going to stay with him, that, in my opinion, you need to um, – you need to tweak the offense a little bit. You do need to allow him to play to his strengths. There's no doubt he is an incredible athlete and a terrific runner. And I, I do think, to me, and this is just my opinion, next game my coach will be my first, <laughs> you want to run the Alabama offense, but also you want to take advantage of his strengths. And I think, you know, that means, yes, he needs to make some, some throws. But at the same time, there, in my opinion, need to be more design runs. More, you know, again, I haven't really seen the RPO game at all. But I think maybe you install a little bit of that with him. Uh, and if you go to another quarterback, you, I, I mean, I understand running the offense, but I also think you have to play to the quarterback strengths. That's what they've done around here. You know, they've, they've changed the offense basically from a, a run, you know, a, a physical mentality when they got Tua and, and Mack and Bryce. This has this become, I'm not going to call it a finesse offense, but you know what I'm talking about. It's become an offense that you throw it around a lot. And now they want to get back to more of a balanced attack. But still, I think you have to fit the offense to what the quarterback does best and I'm not sure that they're doing that right now. Gary, I know the ultimate end game is for Alabama to want to hold themselves accountable to Alabama's standards. And I know that NIL, people are saying that it's ruined college football. It's changed the way things are going. The transfer portal has changed things. Well, just imagine how things are going to change when you do only have three power conferences and you're in divisionless football in the SEC next year and you go to a 12-team college football playoff, it college football is going to continue to evolve whether we like the old-fashioned ways or not. Oh, absolutely it is. There's, there's no doubt about it. It's already evolving. And I understand the first couple of weeks the TV ratings have been incredible and the games have been exciting, but it's already a different game. Even five years ago, and give Coach Prime a lot of credit, but 
he's able to do something now that you couldn't have done five years ago. If you took over a 1-11 in team five years ago, you were basically stuck with that roster. You know what? You might be able to tweak it a little bit, but you basically had to rebuild that program from the ground up. Now you can go into a program with a chief freeze at Auburn or Coach Prime at Colorado. If you don't like the roster, you know what? You can go out and hit the portal. You can bring in 30, 40, 50, 60 new players. And that's that's the, the future. Also, think about this. Schools that have never had an opportunity to recruit at a high level uh, and, and these five stars that have always gone somewhere else, now they got a chance to get these guys the second time around. Alabama, let's be honest. And Georgia and, and Ohio State and Southern Cal, a lot of these guys they sign, in two or three years they're going to be playing against them. You know, those guys aren't going to stay in the program. So I agree you have to evolve. Now, there's some things about NIL I still don't like, you know, and that is there's no caps on it, there's no, there are no rules, and it never ends. You know, people say, well, you're always spending money. Yeah, but when you have a building project, eventually it caps out. You raise the money. But in NIL, guys, here's my issue with it going forward. Maybe we're in good shape right now, but this never ends. You raise all your NIL money for this year, next year you've got a whole new class of guys, whether it's transfer portal guys or recruits that want their piece of NIL. So you're continually asking for money for NIL. It will not end. It'll never end. NIL needs will always be there every year. That's what I'm interested in seeing is how these schools handle it. Right now, yeah, everybody's getting their NIL money together because they know they need it. But what about three years from now? When the same donor is being asked again and again and again for NIL money, I don't know that you can continually raise the amount of money that's needed to have these programs be at the level that these um, – you know, universities want to have them at. It'll, we don't know. We're just going to have to see. But you're definitely right. It's changed a lot, and it's going to continue to change. And you'll either evolve with it or, or you won't. But the programs like Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and these top-tier programs had better get used to the fact that there's going to be more teams that are going to be in position to compete because the rules the way they are. We're going to 12-team playoff next year anyway. There's going to be, and if you like that, more power to you. I'll be interested. You know, already we've had all the pushback from TCU making the championship game and getting 65 hung on them. What's it going to be like in three or four years now if we have a, let's say we have a, uh, I don't know, a Baylor versus uh, North Carolina State National Championship game. Is that really what people want to see? I don't know. I'll be interested then because people say, well, in the playoffs, the same, it'll still be the same three or four teams. I'm not so sure about that, not with the way it's changing. Gary Harris, always love your coverage of everything Alabama each and every day. We know you're the sports director at WBUA 23 in Tuscaloosa, host of the Gary Harris Show weekdays from 9 to 11 on Tide 100.9 FM. Can't thank you enough. How can people follow all of your coverage and see you breaking down the Crimson Tide off of a win, off of a loss, or after every press conference as well? Absolutely, guys. My Twitter is at Gary Harris underscore WVUA. That's our X, whatever it is, social media Twitter X, <laughs> Gary Harris underscore WVUA. Also, I have a WVUA 23 Gary Harris Facebook page that you can search for. Uh, the website for the TV station is WVUA23.com. And for the radio station, it's Tide109.com. Thanks a lot, fellas. Appreciate it. Gary Harris joining us this afternoon on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. We'll put the finishing touches on it. Make room for Pigskin Pete and Brian Gennard coming up next on the Prep Spotlight here on WNSP 105.5. This is Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile.